It is a special day when you get to interview someone that you look up to. Tony DeStalfo is such a person. Today, Tony is the Senior Vice President of North America at Circo. I met Tony randomly at a GBTA conference a long time ago. I want to say around 2004 or 2005. I was only 25 years old, and I think Tony was 60 years old, maybe 65. <laughs> at that time, Tony worked for a company called Reardon Commerce. I was a young buck in those days in travel, and I had just been promoted and was in charge of leading a team to develop the business strategy of how we're going to move forward. I happened to walk by the booth that Tony was speaking at, more like running it. And when I say running it, trust me, he had the entire crowd mesmerized. I was in awe. Okay, so remember, I was young and therefore easily impressionable. I watched him make the same presentation multiple times. I even went back the next day to hear it again. I was trying to memorize everything. There were two things that happened that day. One, I knew how I wanted to sell business travel. Two, I knew who I wanted to emulate. Hi, TD. How are you? Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> killing me with that intro. First of all, I was only 61. <laughs> but that's very generous and gracious of you. It's it's great to be here. And I, I will say that I've watched you over the years, and uh, it's really been uh, exciting for me to see you grow and become such a kind of a powerhouse when you when it comes to opinions and and your thirst for new stuff in business travel so great to be here thank you ash and uh, kudos on this new uh, endeavor you're doing so speaking of age tony wasn't it your birthday recently it was that is correct and is that why they added the senior to your title of vice president at circo <laughs> <laughs> yes that 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 is uh they also sent me the um obligatory readers because I use a magnifying glass at times <laughs> wear glasses, but yes, uh, I am getting old. Uh, I, I don't celebrate birthdays. So we, we, we argue about this in the house that, um, you know, for me, it's kind of a uh, age has never really been that relevant, but uh, it is a reminder that you're getting old. So yes, but I did have a, uh, a birthday on the end of February. Great. Well, happy belated birthday. And now that you're a senior, we can really understand the, the title um, in front of vice president there. All right. So let's start in the beginning and tell me a little bit about you. Where are you from? Where did you grow up? And lead us into how you got into travel. Okay. So I was born in uh, Queens, Astoria, to be exact. Lived. Uh, I was the second of three sons born to my mom and dad, Rose and Joe. Uh, we lived on top of my grandmother's bakery when I was first born for a couple of years in Astoria. My, my, my father then bought a house in Flushing. It was like moving out to the country, uh, you know, because we had grass and a backyard and it was actually uh, pretty cool. I'm a graduate of a Catholic school education. So eight years at St. Michael's in uh, Flushing and then another four years at uh, Monsignor McClanson Memorial High School, where the Brothers of the Sacred Heart instilled in me some of the, the things that still drive me today, uh, kind of discipline. Uh, but then the other side, which was when you're being disciplined, uh, there's always the opportunity to have some fun uh, at the expense of those disciplining you. And I've been pretty good at that. <laughs> so, and then how do I get We all know, know what we mean by discipline, I think. Yeah. Well, yes. You know, you know what I mean. I mean, the old school way. Yes, exactly right. How I get into travel is actually by accident. My best friend, who is still my best friend, has been my best friend from, from uh, first grade was in the service, came out of the service, didn't have a car, uh, said to me, my father tells me all the airlines are hiring. And so uh, I drove him to Kennedy Airport, where we sat in, I sat in front of the terminal while he went inside and filled out an application at uh, TWA, American, 
Northwest, Delta, and then we went to United, and United said, no, we have a facility. It was kind of off the airport at Kennedy Airport, and um, it was where they did, I think, their HR and their medical or whatever it was, and and I got out of the car to say, you know, I got I to gotta, I gotta take a leak, all right? So I'm just going to say it the way I, I would do it. <laughs> yeah. When I walked in, the woman at the door said, oh, here's an application. I said, no, I'm just going to the bathroom. She said, well, fill it out anyway. Uh, my friend that ended up getting a job with TWA, and uh, I was actually a senior in, uh, I was just starting my senior year in college at Baruch, and he got the job, and all of a sudden, he's telling me how great it is because he's flying you know, all over. He flew to Vegas and one day he went to Miami and he went to LA and he's having a great time. He says, you should get an airline job. And so uh, United called me uh, and said, we have a class starting for a job as a reservation sales representative. Didn't even know what it was. But if you'd like to come and interview, I said, yeah, you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll do the interview. I did the interview and they offered me the job, but I had just started a semester. So I said, no, uh, they offered me the job at the end of the, like I caught it the tail end of the semester. And again, I couldn't take it because it was a training class that you have to dedicate six weeks. And I said, no, it's going to interfere with my school. Uh, the third time they said, we've opened up a night class, an evening class. So it's 3.30 to midnight. So I actually did my last semester at Baruch while I did my six weeks of training uh, at United Airlines in a res office in Rockley, New Jersey. And, uh, and, and there's where it started. So it was like travel was like trying to pull you in and you were like, no, I'm busy right now. And they're like, no, come, come in. It's actually, it was, I wasn't a big traveler to be quite honest. Uh, yeah. You know, our, our family vacations for, you know, 17 years in a row were, were uh, pack everybody in the car and, and drive to Wildwood, New Jersey, where we rented a house. And, uh, you know, we spent weeks uh, down at the shore. That was vacation. I, you know, I was, I really wasn't on a plane until I think I was 19. My buddy started doing it, told me, you got to try this. And then I did, and I did fly, and I got the bug. And even even there, though, I wasn't really a career yet. When I started at United, I was part-time. I was working in the family business. I was driving a bread truck. People that know me, my, my grandfather came to this country, and after establishing himself, opened up a bakery. That was his trade, so we made Italian bread. And my uncle took it over from him. And I ended up working in the bakery from when I was like 15 years old. And then I, I became a route driver in the bakery, uh, making really good money for a kid of 17 and 18 years of age. And uh, and then this airline thing came along. And so I was doing both, actually. I was working in the bakery. I'd drive, uh, deliver bread during the day. And then I'd go do my four hours at the part-timer at United Airlines at 10 o'clock to midnight or from, I think it was eight to midnight. That was my shift. And then I'd wake up the next day and go deliver bread and go do the same thing. And then I just decided, you know, I got to I got to do something, you know, kind of uh, I don't want to be a bread man the rest of my life. And so I, I, I got more interested in the airline thing. And then that's where my career I, I kind of invested a little more time in a career, but it was completely by accident. Gosh, so if you, somebody would have told me I wanted to work for an airline, I had an interest in aviation. Uh, not at all. I kind of fell into it and uh, made a career out of it. And I'm very happy I did. Uh, quite honestly, it's been great. So is that bakery still in the family? Is it still around or? Yeah, my uh, my my uncle passed it to my cousin. Uh, it is still around. It is on 43rd Street in Broadway in Astoria. It's called Island Bakery. And uh, yeah, you can still get a great loaf of uh, bread there. And I still oh. do, quite honestly, every now and then. And I do. they deliver to one of the, the places in my neighborhood. So I will still eat Island Bakery bread. Wow. 
that's uh, anybody who's in Queen or is going to be in that area, that will be a place to stop. And then you can tell them that Tony sent you and he said that you will get free bread. Uh, well, there's no freebies. There's no, well, I don't even get free bread. <laughs> well, it doesn't hurt to say that and then see what happens. So, yeah. Yeah. All right, cool. So then you're in uh, United Airlines and, and you, know, you spent many, many years at United. Then you move on to online booking tool technology. And I think that that's where you've spent the majority of your career on the online booking tool side. And we'll talk about that in a second. When and why did you make the transition from the airline side to the technology side? Yeah, interesting. So I was the district sales manager for corporate sales in New York. At the time, there was an internal project that United Airlines called the United Connection. It was actually where you put a floppy disk into your computer and make a reservation on your own. The person who was heading up the project was a, a woman in Chicago called Sue Fullman. And she said, would you be able to put us conceptually in a room with a bunch of corporate buyers in New York? Because we'd like to get their feedback. And so that's how I got interest, introduced to the project. Uh, another good friend of ours, Mike Milio, who I know you know and who we've worked with subsequently, Mike was actually the guy that did the demo. He reminded me of that the other day. So he actually demoed the product. And we went to Bankers Trust and J.P. Morgan and Morgan Stanley, uh, Credit Suisse. And I put all these people, Lehman Brothers, at the time, they were all customers of mine. And I, I said, can you give us an hour of your time? And we went and did a demo of what we were then calling United Connection, uh, which was this ability to book travel. And so that was my first foray into it. And I just, this is kind of pre-internet or just about when the internet was starting. I said, this is going to be a big thing. I can see it's going to completely transform the way people, you know, uh, book travel. And so uh, that was my first exposure. Uh, I took a job with United Airlines. I, I was actually offered a job based on that little project and kind of some exposure I had gotten. I was a recruiter called me for a company called Internet Travel Network to be a sales rep. And at the same time, I was contemplating moving to uh, London to be the national sales manager for United Airlines for the UK and Ireland. And those were the two things I was balancing. And I thought the internet travel network job was a little too early for me. And so I went to London for two years, stayed in touch with the recruiter. Two years later, what he offered me was a VP job uh, with internet travel network to open up the corporate division, uh, to help open up the corporate division. And that's kind of how I jumped into the online world where I've been ever since, right? We, I was part of the first hundred people at, at ITN with a group of really talented people. We took the company public as Get There, sold the company to Sabre, and then I moved over to Sabre, and then subsequent to that to Reardon. But I've been in the tech part of the business uh, for about the last 20 years. So when you move to the online booking tool technology side after United, then we're talking like late 90s now, right? Yep. If I remember correctly, that was also when commissions were eliminated for the travel management companies. So there was a lot of turmoil in the marketplace as a, from a revenue flow perspective. But then you also had technology kicking in with the internet. And I think the timeline of Orbitz and Expedia all kind of line up right around then too. Did you know that this is where this is going? I definitely had a sense that this was going to have an impact. Didn't realize how big an impact it was going to be. You talked about the commission cuts. The other thing that was, I can remember my tail end at United, we were, we were just talking about electronic tickets. And it was difficult to get people to consider moving to an electronic ticket on the corporate side. You know, I'd walk in and they'd say, well, what are my people going to have? You know, they're going to need to yeah. show something. So that was even hard to do, right? So it was it was very early days. But then when you started to see technology was enabling people to do things 
you know, I said that this is definitely going to going to have an impact. And then it was, but it was missionary selling. You know, when I would go see some of the early uh, people that signed up for for ITN, you know, uh, Denise Ryan at Credit, Credit Suisse, and uh, we would sit there and we would talk about it, and we were still building out the functionality. What does it need to do? So there was, there were online tools, or Expedia actually, and and um, Travelocity perhaps, but then it was. What do we need on the corporate side? And you sit down with some people and say, well, we need to apply this policy thing. So that's a that's a whole nother element. It's not just going to the, the software to say, I need to book a trip. I need to put some governance in it. And I think that was, you know, good or bad. You know, you you, you talk now about why are they why aren't they easier to use? And part of that was because we were trying to add that element of compliance, right? You know, based on the corporation wants to make sure that there's some governance going on. And so so the early days were, you know, we took what was, let's just go book travel, pick a trip, you know, pick a return, add a hotel. Uh, but now I want to say, well, is that the right trip? That added that other element of uh, the corporate online booking tool, which is very different. And to this day, kind of still, I don't want to say it's a, it's a drag on, the way people use the application, but it is certainly the differentiator between going to a consumer travel site and going to a corporate site. I want to spend a little bit of time on that period because I like to reminisce about these things. And it's always fun to think back to all the things that we have done before we got into the sophistication of the technology that we have today. For some of the people who will be listening, the young the young people in college and in the early years of their travel career, you know, there was a period of time when we used to have things like paper tickets. They were all handwritten with our own hands. I would imagine, Tony, that you've probably written many of those handwritten tickets. Uh, yeah. And I can, I can tell you how, um, when I worked at LaGuardia Airport, how people would create fraud <laughs> with a lot of the, a lot of the handwritten tickets. Oh yeah. A lot oh, of people. Yep. Yes. Yep. There were a lot of people that, that got busted for that kind of stuff too. But I always like to joke because, you know, my handwriting is really, really bad. And always has been. And I think that was because I was going to school to be a doctor early in my career. So they taught us how to write really badly. So no one knows what the heck you're writing. But I was always surprised that people actually got to where they needed to go on a handwritten ticket that I wrote. Because there was no way that you could read what the destination was. But for some miraculous reason, everything worked. You know, you talk about people not really getting accustomed to the electronic ticket, right? I mean, we had to place these tickets in what was called the ticket jacket, right? You would put the ticket in the ticket jacket. There'd be a lot of promotional messaging on the ticket jacket that people would use uh, that real estate on that ticket jacket. You would have to print out a itinerary that would go into that ticket jacket. So people had this physical document, like a passport. They would have this entire thing. And then, you know, things became electronic. Then, you know, we we had the printed out version. Then we had the satellite ticket printer machines, which I'm sure you've dealt with. All of this stuff was going on around the same time. And so when the internet came out and when, you know, when people could book a trip online, you know, I think people's heads exploded across the world. And I believe that that was when travel truly took off, when it became so easy that anybody could go online and book an airline ticket. And I think that if you look at the numbers of the travel industry and the growth and the trajectory, I think it was very closely tied to the internet as a result, the corporate booking tools that you spend most of your career at as well. Yeah, there's certainly a a period where the internet just democratizes everything, right? Yeah. Because information is so readily available. And so I think you're absolutely right. It, it, it did open up 
the world to a lot of people. And so, so yeah, that was pretty exciting stuff. And I do remember paper tickets. I can remember at LaGuardia Airport having some person from Middle Eastern Europe or the Middle East of Europe come through the airport with a paper ticket. And, you know, it was a 12-leg itinerary. And I looked at this thing and I'm like, oh, God, I don't know if this has even two cents worth of value, but well, let's just put them on the plane and we hope it all works. <laughs> And it probably did 99.99% of the time. True. You know, you'd, you'd sit there and say, and, you know, again, you know, you'd, back to my airline days, you'd collect tickets and that was your that was your money. You'd put it in a safe. And yep. then all of that ticket would go back. And United had an entire, I was probably a couple, couple hundred people in the basement of headquarters just putting the money in the machine, which was just taking these tickets. And if the ticket was written on TWA stock, boom, TWA got a got an invoice. You know, but it all worked. It all worked, right? So, but yeah, making moving to um, the electronic age and and just making it a lot easier for all of this stuff to get done is really just uh, part of what that era kind of uh, brought us. I think it's always uh, fun to think about where we were um, and how far things have come in. I, I guess not that short of a period of time, but still pretty good period of time. So let's uh, let's talk about these corporate booking tools and let's talk about some of the key things that are going on in the industry today. One of the areas of great interest to me, and I know to you as well, is the need that online booking tools should be more consumer-like and should be easy to use. And I'll use the backdrop that, you know, people want experiences similar to Google, Netflix, Amazon, right? And we have seen those logos up on presentations. My question is this, should corporate online booking tools strive to be consumer-like? Why is it so important that we do that? And what is it that we're trying to achieve in a corporate setting? So I absolutely think, you know, there's two elements to consumer versus the when you're at work, right? So I, but I absolutely believe the corporate booking tools should be striving for fast, intuitive, easy, and personal. And I think they can do that. They shouldn't, they shouldn't just be saying, oh no, because we apply policy and because we do a bunch of things here, it shouldn't be easy to use or it shouldn't recognize who I am when I come to the application. So I think generally speaking, they should not be able to hide behind, well, we're a corporate tool that applies policy. We're doing all these things behind the scene. So we can't be as fast and we can't be as easy. We can't be as intuitive. I think that's an excuse. The other thing that I think happens quite often is the content gets fragmented and we're still seeing that. Well, not still seeing it. We're seeing it today. And I think it's actually going to get, going to get worse where the question is, how much content do I need? What content do I need? Can these applications curate it for me? And again, get more personal. So I think generally speaking, the OBTs, the corporate OBTs have not done a good job of that. They haven't done a good job of being fast, intuitive and easy. Uh, they have done a good job of assimilating the content and applying the things the companies have asked it to apply, which is, yes, I do want compliance. Yes, I want to track. Yes, I want to get this information in aggregate form. Yes, I don't want to know all of the people and where they are at the touch of a finger. Those are not easy things to do. Those are things that a, a consumer tool doesn't have to do, never has to think about. But it would be nice to make it a little easier. So I think that's kind of in the crux of it. I, you know, we're absolutely at Circle. We're striving to kind of that middle ground. We absolutely, you know, I say it all the time. We serve four constituents. We have to serve all four equally well. The traveler, 
which has a, a definite set of requirements. I want it to be easy. I want it to understand who I am. I want, I want it to, to appreciate uh, how, how this is not my job, right? Booking travel is not my job. Second, we want the travel manager. I've got the policy. I've got the compliance. I've got all my preferred uh, contracts, but I also wanted you to make it easy enough so that people don't complain about my travel program. Then you have the travel management company who needs to fulfill the ticket, needs to see the information, needs to service this reservation post-booking, and then, of course, you have the, the supplier, the airline, the, the hotelier, who want to present their content in the best way. If we're not serving all four constituents equally well, then I don't think we're doing our job. That's the approach we take. It's like, okay, if we're going to build something that's really easy for the traveler, but doesn't allow the travel manager to see what they're doing to apply policy, you know, we got to rethink that. Uh, if we haven't presented, you know, the airfares in the way that the airline presents them on their website, we have to rethink that, right? Because we want to make sure that we're all four constituents are served well. So I think that's the mantra that the OBT should be taking. But again, I'll, I'll be very frank and say one of the limiting factors here is that an OBT makes a transactional fee. Uh, Expedia makes a commission on a hotel or an OTA. I don't want to pick on Expedia. All the OTAs make a commission on a hotel. They'll make 10x the revenue than an OBT will make. And that's one of the dilemmas that I think we have. The, the investment is difficult because the return is limited. Not getting into all the challenges, that is definitely one of them. Uh, but yes, generally speaking, corporate OBT should be better, should be easier, faster, more intuitive. That is absolutely something uh, they should all be striving for. So isn't the idea that a corporate booking tool should be consumer-like where it gives you all the options like I get when I go on united.com, isn't that a flawed thought process? Because at the end of the day, the priority from a company standpoint is that, look, we want you to travel the easiest way, the one that maximizes our, our preferred relationships and discounts, and we want you to do it within a dollar value. And there is no need for a booking tool to go out and search every .com in the world, become like every .com in the world simultaneously while also applying policy and preferred relationships. I mean, that entire, I always feel like that entire expectation is flawed. The company should be able to say, hey, listen, traveler, we have a relationship with ABC Company you're going to use their corporate booking tool. It's already maximized for the value to the company and for your protection and your needs. This is what you should use. And within that context, of course, you can have these consumer-like experiences for the traveler, but it shouldn't be where the corporate booking tool needs to be like a Expedia on steroids and do all the things that the company also expects it to do. So I, I agree totally. I think that is the main goal. I think the challenge we have is that there's sometimes those kind of those goals kind of butthead. I go on a site and I can see everything. And then when I come to work, I don't see everything. Now the content's been curated specifically exactly. at the request of your company. Right. Yes. And I think if if you understand that going in, then you've level set with that trap. They should be explaining that. We're doing this for the benefit of the company and the benefit of you, right? So we've got a preferred supplier. That preferred supplier is the one that we're going to show first. But there's that's been the age-old the age old problem. I think years ago and not too long ago, we used to say, I want to search everything. I think today, we've I know at, at Circle, we've gotten to the point where we want to present what's relevant to you. Uh, I don't want the search to be you know things you would never consider or things that your company uh, would find inappropriate. And so we are trying to curate the content 
and to bring it bring it back quickly to say, look, we took a look at you, your company, your preferred suppliers, and the policy, and we make, want to make some recommendations here. Uh, if they don't work, fine, you can go, you know, do the long search and see everything. One of the main challenges has always been how far and how wide do you go when you when you're in the work environment? And I think that's been one of the tougher elements to kind of manage. But if you level set at the beginning and say, hey, we're curating the content, you know, this is not going to show everything. It's going to show stuff that we think is most appropriate based on who you are and who you work for. If you level set that early, then people get that perception and hopefully they accept the program. They accept the travel program for what it is. Now, that's no excuse. Again, I come back to say it's no excuse for poor performance. So if your system is always going down or it takes, you know, 78 seconds to respond to a, a general query, or if you can't find the hotel, you know, it's like, oh, my God, I can't find the hotel. What, what am I to do? There's no excuses for that. That's where I say don't hide behind the policy or hide behind the corporate requirements to deliver a bad experience uh, or to deliver bad performance. There is no there's no excuse for that stuff. Right. So. But that's where, you know, I would say draw the line. If the experience is a good one and the content is appropriate and it's being curated properly for you, then yeah, you should use your OBT. That's what it's there for. Are you keeping yourself updated on business travel by listening to What's Up in Business Travel, the only weekly business travel podcast where we update you every Monday morning on what's up this week in the world of business travel? This podcast is great for those who need to know what is happening all in less than 15 minutes. You can listen to the podcast while you're on the move or sitting back and sipping your coffee. Simply search Business Travel 360 on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart, or Pandora. If you prefer, you can also listen to the podcast at businesstravel360.com slash podcast. Be sure to tell everyone you know so that they can benefit from knowing more about what's up in business travel. We hope you are enjoying this interview with Tony. Check out part two where we get Tony's insight into NDC, ATP Co. route-happy content, and written commerce. We also discuss what the future looks like for business travel now that the general population is more sophisticated with web conference technology.